1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I want to look at verse 18 and verse 19, and I just want to talk about the power of the cross for a minute, but it's going to be a bit of a paradox, and the paradox is, by the way, I want to welcome Homer and Robin, they're here, uh, special friends, they're actually owners of this property, and the Lord's just given us a great friendship the last few months, right? And it's been great to get to know them, and just to see their um, excitement for the gospel. They travel on mission trips, preaching, and so be praying for them. Um, and then after the service, we're going to be able to connect with them for some of our famous lunch, Evergrace lunches. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. And I'm reading from an interlinear here, for the message of the cross is foolishness. And Wednesday nights, we have a meeting over here in the Children's Church. And it's been great. It's been, I have to say, it's one of my favorite times of the week. And it's a small group of us, we're getting together, but the Lord is just like speaking and just, I mean, hasn't it been great, those that have been able to join us? It's just been so encouraging. And I know... I mean, everybody comes in there at seven o'clock and just like everybody's, we can start getting some coffee going in there. But I mean, I mean, people are tired from a long day of work. But then by the time we leave, by the time we're done, like it's hard to get everybody out the door because we're fellowshipping, we're encouraged. And it's just been really great. We've been talking about the book of First Corinthians on Wednesday nights. And I've just been so stirred up personally these Wednesday nights about the message of the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. And I just want to talk about the power of the cross today. But from probably a perspective maybe that we have not naturally or gravitated towards just because of personal preferences. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, it says it's the message about the cross. Or in the Greek, it says the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to, to, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, in verse 19, and the intelligent the intelligence of the intelligence I will confound. I think that when we think about power, when somebody talks about the word power in the world, I mean, we see the amassing amount of, of, of military power and all of these mites, and, you know, like Russia's talking now about nuclear weapons, and, you know, it's just out of control over there. But when we think about the word power, we think about objects that can move molecules in a very in a powerful way. Um, Maybe someone being able to speak and influence a lot of people. We think of power, the ability to do something. And, and, and Paul here is talking in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, right at the beginning with this church, the Corinthian church, that there was just this massive misunderstanding about power and unity. And Paul here is talking about, let's just define what is the cross and what is power, the power of God. I think that when we read things like Jesus is getting arrested and, and he's with his disciples, and it's funny because... The, 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 the guards that came to arrest Jesus that night that he was crucified came and said, which one of you is Jesus? Like he didn't stick out. He wasn't like, he wasn't like this really amazing looking guy. You know, he was just a normal looking person. And he said, and, and Jesus steps forward. And he says, I am he. And remember how like everybody just kind of steps back and falls backwards. Like we think that's power. That's the power of God that I want to have. That's amazing ability and and power, and, and I think that when we read here what Paul is saying about power, it's really something that is not what we would expect. And this is really the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is the ultimate total revelation of God's nature, his plan, and his power. The cross. When we want to talk about the power of God, the work of God, when we talk about things that God is doing, we can just point to the cross. We can, point, we can point to an empty cross. I think that when we're discussing 
famous corporations or uh, big pharma or these organizations in the world that have a lot of money and influence in governments and in small towns, big towns, um, we can think about these companies and they're represented by a logo. You know, you have a logo that really, when you look at that logo, it really encapsulates the philosophy and the, the vision and the, and the popularity of that company like Nike, for example, or other corporations. But when we look at the church of Jesus Christ, it's not a corporation. It's not a business. It's not run like a business. It's a, it's a church. It's a, it's a mystery. It's a, it's a body of people, flesh and blood that are broken, you know, that every day just need to call out for the grace and mercy of God. And the logo for the church of Jesus Christ really is a cross. It's an empty cross. It's a cross that says Jesus died here, but he's, still, he's not here. The one that you seek is not here he has risen and go tell his disciples. It's a cross that says the most incredible, destructive, torturous, horrendous uh, instrument of death is now empty because the one that it crucified was more powerful than death and rose from the dead. And when we sang those songs today, maybe some of them you don't know, but I love the songs about the power of the cross, about the cross that changes people's lives. And we know that if there's not a cross in the middle of our ministry, in the middle of our message, lives don't get changed. It's just another philosophy. It's another religious behavioral modification program. Another thing that you've got to do. It's another, it's another thing to meet up to. It's another slick, cool-looking maybe organization or social club. But it's really not, it's really not, a, it's not a, a faith that causes, that, that, that causes and bids us to die, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. The cross is a total revelation of God's nature, his plan, and his power. I mean, when we think about power and, the power and wisdom here in, verses eight, in verse, verse 18, the word about the cross. And I just want to say something about that. I never saw that until this week. Do you know why the Greek word there is the word of the cross and not the message or, or the philosophy or the emotions or whatever? It's a word. Word of the cross. Because by nature, we as human beings don't learn things very much just from words alone. We need a demonstration. We need someone to go ahead of us and lead us and show us. The word of the cross is an example of obedience of Jesus to the Father. We talk about the cross of Jesus Christ. Remember, we said this last week. It was an instrument that was that, that, the, that the criminal and only criminals and bad people rejects and Rebels and bad people of society were put on these crosses and they were nailed to a cross. And this cross speaks of just utter submission to the point where I am choosing not I'm choosing to be in a situation that I can't get out of. Jesus was allowing himself to be pinned to a cross to be put somewhere so that he could not so that he could not move. And he chose that the cry. Jesus was never a victim. We got to remember that. Oh, poor Jesus. He was victim. No, he wasn't. This was something that he chose to do in eternity past. That's the power of God, the power of the love of God, to say no to our self-life and to walk to a cross and love the world, love those that despitefully use you, love those that are, that are spitting on you and, and crucifying you and hurting you. And so Jesus here is on the cross, and the cross is a picture, and as we said last week, of absolute submission to God's plan. There's two sides of the cross, Remember? One side is a cross of death and surrender and submission and losing our life and not living in our own desires and not living in our own soul life 
and not living in, in our own opinions about things and not, not being quick to speak, but just dying to ourselves. But there's another side, and I think sometimes we don't get, I think a lot of Christians don't get to the other side because maybe their Christianity becomes something very ascetic or very religious or something very legalistic where I guess I'm just dying all the time, I'm dying. That doesn't make us spiritual people. It just makes us people that we're living and we're saying no to our flesh. Remember when Jesus said, they that want to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. In Mark chapter 8, when Jesus said, deny themselves, that word there is always being used in reference to relationships. Never to things, but to people. Denying ourselves is never like, okay, you know, when Lent comes, do you ever have a conversation with people at work? Well, what are you giving up for Lent? Well, I'm going to give up sugar, or I'm going to give up that, or I'm going to give up this. Cross is not me giving up things. The cross is I'm saying no to a relationship with my flesh, Good. with my own thinking, my own life. And praise the Lord, because who of us, who in this room wants to live in the bondage of our broken, yucky, smelly flesh? None of us. And nobody around us wants us to either. When we say no to our flesh, guess what happens? This is what happens. And here's a picture. And maybe this is kind of simplistic for you, but I love this. This is beautiful theology here. Jesus is in the garden. Right? He doesn't, he's not pinned to a cross yet. And Jesus is saying, Father, if it's, you, if, if it, if it's possible, remove this cup from me. That's his humanity speaking. He's not cowering. He's just saying, look, I'm a human being. I'm human. And this is tough. And I'm sweating blood here. And demons from all over the, all over the universe are just on my back right now trying to, me to, trying to get me to say no to the cross and this universal act of salvation that that, that not to universally save everybody, but to make a, a, a way of salvation. And Jesus is saying, if it be your will, may this cup pass from me. And I think we can pray like that. God, this is tough. This is really hard. And if it's your will, could you change it? But if not, thy will be done. That's the cross. Jesus was born into a mentality of the cross. The cross is not just an object or a point in time. It was something that was in the mind of God from the beginning of time, that he was not going to live in his, God was not living in his own preferences. He was living in this incredible divine love and plan and justice that he had for you and I. Are, are you getting it? Are you guys getting it? Yes. Amen. Anybody? <laughs> I feel like uh, I'm, I'm kind of up here and I want to come down there and talk to you. But, you know, Jesus is saying no to him. He's saying yes to God. And that's the cross. When I say, and then Jesus is dying on the cross. And Jesus says, Lord, I, unto thee I commend, I commit my spirit. And then he dies. There's points in our life where things are at a point where we're like, God, I'm going to stop trying to deal with this situation. I'm going to stop trying to beat this sin. I'm going to try to stop winning this argument. I'm going to stop trying to make my finances work without you. I'm, going to stop, I'm just going to say, Lord, I'm committing it all to you. I'm going to give it all to you. And I'm going to trust you, God, for the next thing. And I'm going to get up and I'm just going to move forward. And when we let go, and men, you know, men, males, us, we like, we like, we like to control things. I mean, I do. I like to be, I like to have a plan. I like to, you know, I like to be able to predict things. I like, I like to be in, in control. And I think that that's, that's human nature. But sometimes we're just like, God, at this point, I really need you. I need to, I'm going to die to this situation. I'm going to hand over to you my anger. I'm going to hand over to you my right to be right. I'm going to hand over to you my right to be fulfilled in my flesh. I'm going, to be, I'm going to hand over to you my rights as an individual 
And, and I'm just going to just silently su- surrender to you. And that's spiritual death. That's the cross for the Christian. The cross for the Christian, you know, the cross of Jesus and the cross of us for us is the same cross, but we're not dying to atone for sins for people or for ourselves. You got that? The cross is not an object. And we've said this before. The cross is not your health. It's not your finances. It's not your mates. It's not your neighbor. It's not our politics. The cross is nothing but an opportunity where we say no and we deny ourselves a relationship with our flesh. And we say, God, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Lord, And I just don't know. And I'm going to surrender to you. And if you don't move in this situation, we're dead in the water and it's all over. And, and, and there's, there's three days. <laughs> Jesus is in the grave three days, right? There's a moment of waiting, the finality of our decision. Sometimes we make a decision and it's like, okay, I made the right decision of obedience and surrender to God. And, and then there's like this three days of like, there's this momentary, there's this period of time where like, you know, unless the wheat of corn goes into the ground and dies, it abides alone. And here I am for these three days. For Joseph, it was seven years plus another seven in, the, in, the, in jail. There's this period of time of waiting where we're like, okay, God, I'm dead. I'm dead. Okay, stay dead. Just be dead. You be, that's okay. Dead people don't complain. Dead people don't, you know, dead people don't have their opinions. Dead people are not complaining or crying. They're just dead. They're just like quiet. I mean, and there's going to be a moment where Jesus said, I commend, I commend to you my spirit. And then it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Are you guys following me? Romans chapter 8, verse 11. uh, It says this, that the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead will be faithful to what? Quicken your what? Mortal bodies in the King James. And that's what happens. It's like there's a moment in time where the Holy Spirit will quicken you. When you and I take that step of a very difficult decision for God, we take a step in God's plan for for our life. Guess what? It's not going to be beautiful. (laughs) It's not going to be powerful. And people are going to be like, um, really? You're, what? You're going to do that? Um, that doesn't sound so powerful. You mean you're going to stay in that marriage? That doesn't look very powerful. I mean, if you were a powerful person, you'd exit that situation because you deserve better. Kick the bum out, right? I mean, there's this mentality in the world where fight for your rights and, and we celebrate that. But in the kingdom of God, it's like, Lord, I'm not choosing the powerful thing. And I have a whole bunch of notes here that I'm not even getting to, but... I think God's moving in this direction that it's like, God, I'm not going to choose the powerful thing in my life. I mean, I, I have this, you know, some of us have temperaments and I took, I think it's called the disc personality test or one of these tests. And I think I'm a three or something, which means I like shiny objects and things that look really good. And I enjoy systems, but God doesn't allow me to <laughs> live in that. God doesn't allow me to live in that stuff. You know, I love, and it's always like, you know, when you're walking with God, it's, you're always kind of like, you're all like, okay, you know, like, you know, are we going to make it, you know? Because when we choose God, it doesn't always look so powerful. And then later on, when people look at the marriage that didn't blow up, that, that's, that stuck it through through the hard times, and they say, that was powerful. That was powerful. It was powerful that you could forgive your enemy. That was very powerful. It was very powerful that you could stay in the plane of God and not quit. And not throw in a towel. And it's very understandable. I mean, there are people probably in our lives that would just say, you know what? You've done the best you can. Watch out for human reason, by the way. Human reason. This human reason is going to always just like, it's going to steer us away from the cross. The flesh is so conniving and so clever. It's going to just, 
It's going to talk you out of the plan of God. It's going to talk you out of the power of the cross. And you know something? When you're in that place of death and you've surrendered and you say, I'm got, I'm, how can I do this? Like David said, how can I do this thing in your eyes, O Lord? When we say, God, I'm going to honor you. And we fall down and we get back up in the grace of God. We rebound and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. When that happens and we keep moving forward, we kind of feel dead, right? Come to church. Praise the Lord, brother. How you doing? Pretty dead. <laughs> there are those moments when that happens, right? And, I'm, you know, and it's okay. Like if somebody says that, understand that sometimes people are going through the cross and encourage them and love on them. And at that moment when we feel that way, there's going to be a moment where the Holy Spirit comes in and comforts us and speaks to us and says, you know what? I love this. I love this. I love this. Daniel is praying 21 days. He's praying for his nation. He's praying for God's plan to happen. He's praying. There's this warfare happening. And I love when Michael, the archangel, gets to him finally. Remember what he says? Greatly beloved Daniel. (laughs) I love that. That's the first thing. Michael's like, I just want to tell you in heaven that you're, you're talked about. And the angels and the hosts and those that have gone on before you and died, there's this cloud of witnesses that are saying, oh, beloved Daniel, he's loved. He's loved. It's said there's no love in war. And I said this to our Ukrainians yesterday. And I said, I said, there's no love in war. And I don't remember who said that. You can Google it and correct me. But I don't know who said that. And there's no love in war. It means like this. But there can be in the kingdom of God. There can be love in war. And I think we need to abide in the love of God. As it says in Jude, keep yourself in the love of God. Reflect the love of God to your, to your mates, to yourself. Abide in the love of God. Be around people that are going to reflect that to you. Um, I was with Michael yesterday for coffee yesterday morning. I was so encouraged. We need to be around people that are going to reflect to us the love of Christ. The love of Christ. And when that happens, when that happens... We're quickened and we come on the other side and guess what? We don't smell like smoke. You know, the Hebrew boys came out of the, the furnace and they didn't smell like smoke. You ever been in a trial or seen someone in a trial? And we've done it. I've done it. And they come out of the trial and they just smell like smoke. I and mean, everything that they say is smoke. And it's like, I'm, I'm going through this. And by the way, if, you're, if, you're, if we are struggling, it's okay to communicate with the body like, I need prayer. I need help. And this is why the body of Christ is here. But you know something? These guys came out and they didn't smell like smoke. They didn't they weren't burned up and they were walking. And guess what happens? The Lord quickens us. And we're like we wake up the next morning and there's there's this joy and there's this peace and there's this capacity and everything starts to get worse. But there's something in our heart that wasn't there before. And that's the presence of God. It's the word of God. It's the Bible speaking to us in great, powerful ways. And guess what we get to do? We get to do some very powerful things. We get to say to the person that's hurting us. I don't know what we say to them. I love you unconditionally. Or we give them a word in season. Or someone that's in a business deal that's really wrecking us. We get to say, you know something? God is bigger than all of this. Or, or your own personal failure. We get to say, God is greater than my sin. In Romans chapter 7, I am not my sin. And this is truly powerful living. I mean, it's power is not throwing around atom bombs and taking our, 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 our rights as a person and, and, and giving and, 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 and doing things that... That, that could be celebrated in the world, but it's the powerful thing is, is sometimes just to say nothing and just keep our peace. And then other times the power of God is, is that we can stand up in front of kings and princes and, and, and not be afraid as, as Paul was in, in Acts chapter 26. Oh, King Agrippa, 
I'm not afraid to tell you what I think. Then the Hebrew boys said, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, they said, they said, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, they said, we are not afraid to tell you what we think. I love it. I love it. I love how that is. And that's powerful living. Powerful living is, is when we say no to the flesh and we, and, we, and we walk with God and we start taking steps of faith. And power is really a, is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is surrender, submission to his plan, to his word, to his people. Romans 12, verse 10, preferring one another in love. You know, that's powerful. <laughs> I mean, I, maybe somebody doesn't love me, but I'm, gonna, I'm going to prefer them. I'm not going to prefer their flesh, but I'm going to prefer, I'm going to prefer them. And I say, you know what? You're hurting, you're hurting other people, but if you understood how much you're treasured and how much you're loved in the body of Christ, that's preferring one another in love. Churches blow up today. Kelly was telling me today, as we were working, as we were singing here, practicing, that there's just so much unlove <laughs> and there's just so much uh, like uh, toxicity and, and hurt in churches today. And I, to me, to this day, it's still like such a paradox. Like, how can that be? But it is, and I don't know why. What happens, I think I know why. Because in Galatians, the book of Galatians, remember the Galatian church? They're biting, devouring one another. Sounds like dogs, doesn't it? You ever been bitten <laughs> by people? It's like, it's like I'm, you know, and Jesus looks at Judas and he goes, he's like, and David said this too. He said, from my own, my own personal best friend, acquaintance, I've been bitten and devoured. You know why? Because the, the church in Galatia, they left one thing. And remember what that, the thing that they left was? The grace of God. And he started living out their Christianity in the energy of their flesh. I, be careful. And I say this to myself first. I say this my, and saying this to myself a lot. Be careful when things happen and you're put in a place where you just feel like maybe I got to resort to something else too. To, to, to see some powerful things happen. You know, I remember in the book of Acts, Acts, first chapter, first couple chapters of Acts, the apostles are arrested. They're in jail. The church is having a prayer meeting in the middle of the night and they're praying. And I love it. And they're just saying, oh Lord, you see the threatenings of the politicians and the people against us. You see the, 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 the way that we're being treated so poorly. You see our persecution and, 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 the, and the hatred towards us. And oh Lord, please move do something glorious so that we, and what was their prayer? So that we could preach the gospel boldly. And I was telling the Ukrainians, I said, you know what? You guys, the devil, the thing that the devil wants you to do, and anywhere, because I know Ukraine's not, I mean, Africa, there's stuff happening there all the time. We never hear about slaughters and just craziness. And the, the, main, uh, the main goal of the devil is that we would stop giving a good confession about the greatness of the gospel. And the gospel is, is that, we were so wretched and are so wretched, so broken, such a wreck that we are. And we are so at the same time loved and accepted and treasured that this paradox that we live in is called the grace of God, the finished work of God. That is the great news. And we got to preach the gospel to ourselves every morning, not get saved every morning, but preach the gospel to ourselves. And, I, and, and in a time of war and conflict and fear and bombs raining down in your neighborhood and gunshots and all of this is going on and the graphic images on on. And, you know, these days are, you know, they may come to America. These days may come to us. And my wife and I lived in countries where one week it's great. Young people on the streets laughing, fun, and having a great time. And then 48 hours later, it's just a total disaster. And when these times come, it's important that we understand that the main objective of the devil is that we would stop preaching Christ. 
is that we would stop preaching the gospel. That we would stop going. And I said, you know what the most powerful thing you can do as Ukrainians? And here, I, I, you know, here I'm in Texas, you know, drinking my coffee, sitting in my nice house, talking to these people whose houses are being bombed. And I'm just saying, you know, the most powerful thing that we can do right now is that we can go across the hallway and share the gospel with our neighbor and tell them it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. It may not be okay, but you're going to be okay. Acts 27. Acts 27. I'm going to wrap it up pretty soon here. Another couple more hours. We'll be done. Um, Acts 27. You know, remember Acts 27? Paul's like he's in a ship, right? And I think we're like the, I'm the kind of person that I like to be optimistic. I like to be positive. Like, hey, it's going to be all good. And Paul's here like, guess what? God told me the ship's going to get destroyed. The whole thing is just going to be shattered in wood all over the Mediterranean Sea. But if you listen to me, not a soul will be saved, but you've got to listen to me. And, you know, sometimes God just has to wreck the whole thing. The whole thing has to be ripped apart limb by limb so that we would not put our trust in ourselves. And it's like there's this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I was sharing this with the Ukrainians today, that Paul said that we have the sentence of death upon ourselves so that we would learn not to trust in ourselves, but that we would trust in God who raises the dead. <laughs> raises the dead. And Paul said, and we're... And, for God has delivered us from so great a death, right? All my memory verses, by the way, are in King James. And so, like, when I quote verses, it's like King James. God has delivered us from so great a death. And he continues to deliver us so that we... And then he starts talking about how they were getting help from the body of Christ and for the, the thankfulness of many. And I would say that's powerful living. Powerful living is when everything in our life may, may get ripped apart. And we're just hanging on to a board in the middle of an ocean somewhere. And by the skin of our teeth, we survived. I I talked to one young lady this morning. And she's a single mom. Um, She sent me a picture. And, you know, there are pictures of them just kind of huddled up in a basement in an old Soviet building in the middle of Kiev. And she said, this has been our home for the last two days. We finally got out and um, got to a place, you know, out in a village outside of the city. And I just think, you know, in one week, seven days, like these people's lives have been just ripped apart limb from limb. And she said to me, she said, we're praying we just survive. We're just praying we're surviving. And I say that because, I say that because th- things like that may happen or may have happened to you already. You have may, maybe you've gone through something where it seems like the ship that you were in, you were going in a direction and it seemed like you were going and, and things looked great and then something happens and God allows everything to be torn apart. And maybe your prayers weren't answered. But one thing is answered. And the prayer that is always answered is that I would know Christ. And the power of his resurrection. That I might walk with him. That, that I may attain, like Paul said, that I could attain to the resurrection. He said that I may understand what resurrection life is. I want to close with this. Is that God has not called us only to die, die, die. We die. But he's called us to life. He's called us to the other side. And to wait patiently and allow God to say, God, I'm here. I'm surrendered, waiting for you to quicken me, to renew me, to renew my mind. And when we do that, we're in this place of brokenness. And, and I think for the men in the room, something I think, and I'm not a woman, so I don't know this exactly, but this is what I've, been heard, this is what I've heard, is that when we men find ourselves in a place of just brokenness and hardship, and we've really resigned all of our own natural thinking, and we're in a place where we are just trusting the Lord, not confused and negative, but just kind of like in a very vulnerable place. Our wives 
see that. And there's something built in our wives that has compassion on that situation. And, and I think we sometimes as men really want to show we're powerful people, we're strong. I've got to lead my family. I can't be weak. I grew up poor. I've got to provide for my family. I understand all of that. But then there's moments where it's okay, where we're like, honey, or say to our kids, I don't know what we're going to do. But I know God will be faithful. And, and compassion, God has created in our wives this ability to have compassion on us um, and, and to look at us and to be moved with compassion and moved in prayer. And I think, it's, I think the thing that we want to avoid as Americans or as just Westerners, we want to avoid this feeling of weakness and vulnerability. And that's the thing, we fight that so much. And, and we fight that. And there's something inside of us that's human nature. It fights that. And when we surrender to God, not the situation, but to God in the situation, and that's important to remember, when we surrender to God in the situation, we begin to understand the power of his resurrection, the power of renewal, the power of a quickened mind, the power of a confession that we can say by faith in a situation where there is no hope. And we can say, God is faithful. God is faithful. And I remember when we were in the middle, right at the beginning of the COVID thing, we were all kind of freaking out. We didn't know where this was going. And I remember one lady said to my wife and I, she said, I said, we're going we're to be okay. And she goes, no, we're not going to be okay. I mean, no, I said, everything's going to be okay. And she goes, no, it's not going to be okay. But we're going to be okay as Christ's body. We're going to be okay. Because you can wreck the ship. You can destroy the ship. You can destroy the thing that we're putting our trust and our safety in. Yet we're not going to ever be in a place without hope and without peace. And this is the ultimate revelation of wisdom of God. Is that God, and this is how God is destroying the wisdom of the wise. This is how God is destroying the intellectualism of the intellectuals. This is the David that rises up against Goliath, against all odds. I love Christianity because be careful when you look at something and you, and you just say, that's just, uh, that's weak. What is that? Because that's the very thing that God's going to use to take out Goliath. The little guy. The little thing. My experience is that the Lord uses the men that you think or the women that you think are not really the most powerful spiritual people. And then God raises up these guys and these women that are like, they're killing it in the kingdom. You know? So let's not live in the spirit of, of, let's not live in the spirit of what the world calls powerful. But let's live in the powerful thing. And like Jacob, at the end of our life, we have a limp. You know, and I wanted to get into Genesis 32, but I, I don't have time. But Genesis 32, here's 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 Jacob, right? He is the he's the usurper. He's the swindler. He's the manipulator. He's the guy that always got a plan. You know, he's always got like I get an idea. I can I can finagle this situation. You know, reminds me of my own self. Okay, okay we can get out. We can do this. We got this. You know, and so all of Jacob's life. I mean, even from his birth, he's. He's struggling and wrestling with his brother Esau. And then later on, he's struggling in his sexual life, in his romantic life. He wants to get the great, you know, the, the great woman. He's going after Rebecca, and then what happens? He gets Leah. And then he gets manipulated by Laban, right? And Laban keeps him another seven years, and then he's got to work for Rebecca, right? And then they get married, and then things are not going great. And then he's got a problem with his brother Esau, and he finds out that Esau is going to come out and meet him with 400 men. And, and, and Jacob is at this moment of fear and he's upset and he's like, he's, he's just wheeling and dealing. Okay, I'm going to move these people over here. I'm going to send all the, sh- all the, all the women and all the, all the little ones ahead. And maybe my, my, my brother Esau is going to have compassion on me. And then what happens? He sends on his servants away. And it says that in, in Genesis 32, he was alone. He's alone. 
man, do we fight that? God's just getting us alone. He's getting alone, and he's getting alone. And, and, and here's, here's Jacob, and it says there's a man that, that wrestled with him. It's very interesting, kind of abstract the way it's written, but if you think about it, here it is at night. You can't see the man. He's wrestling with Jacob. Jacob, I think, is, is getting the idea that this is God. This is the Son of God. This is a Jesus Christ, and he's thinking, and he's like, you know, he's wrestling. And sometimes God allows us to wrestle with him. And he, and he wants to prove to us that there's nothing in us that can persuade God except for one thing. And, and, and here's, here's Jacob wrestling with God. And, and, and at the end, like, the man, says, the man says to Jacob, the sun is rising, I have to go. And, and it's, there's so much beautiful meaning in that. And, J, and Jacob says, what is your name? And, and he's trying to figure out who this is and how he can get a blessing from him. And then he actually asks the man who he understands as God, bless me before you go. I will not let you go until you bless me. We use that in the, in the light of prayer. But I think some, we have to be careful with that because prayer is not wrestling with God. We can't, prayer is not works. And if we're not trusting the cross, if we're not surrendering at the cross and living in submission, it turns into this works trip, struggling and trying to wheel and deal our life. And then, and what, is, what does the man do? Jesus Christ, what does he do with Jacob? It says he touches his thigh, right? Just a touch. And it just falls apart. His whole, he's, got, he's got a hip job that's just out. There's no, there's no way to replace that hip. I mean, it's just out of socket. It's wrecked. And, it's, and, and he's starting to hobble. And then the blessing comes in his life. And you know something? The blessing came to Jacob, not through words. Because many times in the Old Testament, blessing comes through just spoken words. In this case, a blessing came through something that he had to go through. And the blessing was a touch from God. When God brings weakness into your life, and it makes you vulnerable and weak. And it's very uncomfortable and very awkward. At that moment, there's a blessing because God is touching your life. Let's look to God. And at that moment, when we walk away from that experience, we can say like, like Jacob did, I saw God here. I met God here. And nobody knows about this place. I slept on a rock. It's just some random place. I don't even know if I can explain it to anybody. But God showed up at that moment. And he spoke to me. And he created some great weakness in my life. And that's blessing. And that's powerful. And Jacob is ending, at the end of his life, we see him at the end of Genesis. He's standing and he's blessing all his kids. And the writer of Genesis takes the moment and he says, and Jacob, leaning on his staff. And that word leaning means like he had all of his weight on that thing. He had no power anymore in his, in his own self. And he blessed all of his kids. Power of God comes through great weakness. And when we surrender to that, we're very powerful people. But when people look at us, they're like, what? Don't live in that. Don't live in people's opinions and perspectives of you. Walk in the power of God and we'll have peace and we'll be quickened. And just enjoy yourselves. Nothing has to be anything. If God shows up, I'm just happy. Like when I drive home on Sunday nights and Sunday afternoons or Wednesdays or on winter we have classes here, I have so much joy in my heart because I see your faces. And I just get to fellowship with you guys. And I love this. I love this so much. So let's just close in prayer. Father, thank you, God.